Dragnet. Kraft presents the Great Gildersleeve. We offer you Escape. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Suspense. The Jack Benny Program. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Yes, it's Maxwell House Coffee Time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. Countdown for blastoff. X minus one. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and welcome to episode one of Retro Radio Theater, featuring a full hour of programming from the golden age of radio. Follow us wherever you listen to podcasts or visit us on SeniorResource.com, your number one source for retirement planning, caregiving tips, and living your best. This time, it's two detective radio episodes, Sam Spade with Howard Duff and Dragnet with Jack Webb. Stick around. We'll be right back. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-494-8310. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-494-8310. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-494-8310. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. The detective character Sam Spade was created by writer Dashiell Hammett for his crime story, The Maltese Falcon. Spade was a hard-boiled detective with cold detachment, a keen eye for detail, and unflinching determination to achieve his own justice. The character is most closely associated with actor Humphrey Bogart, who played Sam Spade in the third and most famous version of The Maltese Falcon. In 1946, one of radio's top producers, William Spear, brought Sam Spade to the airwaves, starring newcomer Howard Duff with Lorene Tuttle as Spade's secretary, Effie Perrine. Duff took a considerably more tongue-in-cheek approach to the character than the novel or movie. Dashiell Hammett lent his name to the radio series, but did little more than cash the checks sent to him for the privilege. Howard Duff starred as Spade until 1951, when Steve Dunn took the role. In this episode, a wealthy woman hires Spade to unravel a blackmail plot against her husband. Here's the Hot 100 Grand Caper, starring Howard Duff on the adventures of Sam Spade, detective from September 19, 1948. The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective, brought to you by Wild Root Cream Oil Hair Tonic, the non-alcoholic hair tonic that contains lanolin. Wild Root Cream Oil, again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. Uh, this is Sam, Blackleg Spade, the third most dangerous gambler on the Barbary Coast. Oh, Sam, not horses again. Horses, women, and the gaming tables, Effie, the, the versions of the elite. Well, divert yourself with this, Sam. The phone company has sent the pink notice. Aha, uh-huh. pay it no mind, sweetheart. We are healed. We have hit the cashier's cage, annexed the pot, broken the bank, and we're standing on velvet. Sam, are you sober? Uh, definitely velvet. Hmm, warm, too. Sam, from where are you calling from? You're wrong, Effie. It's a drugstore. Stay where you are. I'll be right down to deal out my report on the hot hundred grand caper. Dashiell Hammett, America's leading detective fiction writer and creator of Sam Spade, the hard-boiled private eye, and William Spear, radio's outstanding producer-director of mystery and crime drama, join their talents to make your hair stand on end with the adventures of Sam Spade. Presented by the makers of Wild Root Cream Oil for the Hair. 
It's smart to buy things the whole family can use, isn't it? That's why I say it's smart to buy Wild Root Cream Oil Hair Tonic. To Mom, to Dad, to the children, Wild Root Cream Oil is really a friend indeed. Non-alcoholic Wild Root Cream Oil with lanolin grooms the hair neatly and naturally, relieves dryness, removes loose, ugly dandruff. I hope you have a big family-sized bottle of Wild Root Cream Oil in your home. Get Wild Root Cream Oil Hair Tonic. Again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. And now, with Howard Duff starring as Spade, Wild Root brings to the air the greatest private detective of them all in the adventures of Sam Spade. Date, uh, September 19, 1948, to uh, robbery detail, San Francisco Police, Attention Sergeant Walsh, uh, from Samuel Spade, license number 137596, uh, dear Joe. Here's the rundown on that hot hundred grand. It started pleasantly enough when my secretary, Miss Effie Perrine, cute little mouse, eased into my private office, closed the door behind her, and leaned back against it with that air of pained resignation, which generally means there's a customer outside that she doesn't approve of, but that I'll see her anyway. It's up to you, Sam. She's very well dressed, and I imagine she can afford you. How do you uh, deduce that? Well, she dropped her purse. I didn't get time to count it all, but there was a $100 bill on top. Well, sure, her in, Effie. Sam. Go ahead, say it. Oh, I don't know, Sam. Sometimes, well, does just money... No. No, that's one of the reasons I hire you. What's the matter with it? Nothing. That's just it, Sam. She's very good-looking, mm-hmm. cultivated, and very kind and considerate. And she seems sincerely troubled. You mean her act is a little too good? I felt that too, Sam. Thanks, Angel. I'll keep that in mind. Tell her to come in. All right, Sam. Mr. Spade will see you, Mrs. Kilcoy. Thank you. Thank you for seeing me, Mr. Spade. My pleasure. Uh, won't you sit down? Oh, thank you. <clears throat> I'm Lorraine Kilcourse, Mr. Spade. It's about my husband, Leonard Kilcourse. Husband? Oh. We've only been married a short time. It was a quiet ceremony at the San Cedro Mission. Mm. Leonard didn't want to subject me to any publicity. The difference in our ages, you know? You mean you want me to keep it a secret? Oh, no. No, except for the newspapers, of course. Naturally, all of Leonard's friends know. Oh, he doesn't have many from what I've heard. I've thought it strange, too, that such a prominent man should have such a small circle of acquaintances. I met him only a short time before I married him. He's been very kind and absolutely devoted to me, and I suppose I should feel ashamed of myself for for coming to you. But there are so many things about him that are mysterious that I... Sometimes I... I I can't seem to find my handkerchief. Here. Kleenex. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. I uh, take it you're not a San Francisco girl. No. No, I met him at a dude ranch. Well, uh, maybe I can clear up some of your mysteries for free. The reason your husband doesn't have many friends is because they keep dropping dead. I don't understand you. Oh, forget it. He's a big public servant. He's built a lot of sidewalks. The streets of this city are paved with his good intentions. His name is on a thousand manhole covers. If the names of his former business associates land on headstones, it's nothing to me. I got my own racket. Well, what? I think my husband is paying blackmail to someone. Uh Uh-huh. And upon what do you base your suspicions, Mrs. K? It started about a month ago. He began withdrawing large sums from our joint account. First it was 10000 then then 20000 and last week, 50000 mm-hmm. and, and this morning, he closed out the balance of the account. $100,000. Well, he's got it to spend, Mrs. Kilcourt. Well, I, I won't pretend the money doesn't interest me, but what's behind it, Mr. Spade? Each time he withdraws these cash sums, he leaves the house without a word to me. And sometimes doesn't return until dawn. My husband is not fond of nightlife, Mr. Spade. Only a desperate situation could induce him to leave the house after dark. Yeah, so I've heard. They say that's how he kept his health as long as he has. All right, uh, you want me to trail him, find out what he does with the money. Just one question. Why'd you pick me for the job? I... I, why, your reputation... That's it, local. You say you're new in San Francisco. Well, I, I do read the local papers. Your picture was in only two weeks ago. Yeah, well, that caver didn't help my reputation. I like your looks. A nice, honest face. A man I could trust. Well, I don't buy that. And 
I'm sentimental, too. Your picture reminded me of someone who was very dear to me. My brother. Of course, you're nothing like him, really, but, but you do look alike. I suppose that sounds like a silly woman's reason for... Yeah. What's your address? Well, I have a little place of my own out on Divisadero. The Balboa Apartments near Normandy Terrace. Mm -hmm. You'd better keep in touch with me there. I don't want Leonard to know. The Kilcourse Mansion is at 1316 Clarendon. 1316. He returns from his office around six in the evening. Do you have a car? No. Do I need one? Well, I don't know where he may go. Now, here are the keys to my car. It's parked in front of the main entrance, a gray Plymouth. He won't recognize the car. My, my, it's my brother's. Now, about your fee. A hundred bucks now. If I need more, I'll leave you now. I had an uneasy feeling I would need more. The last detective that tried to follow Leonard Kilcourse had hospital insurance. I don't. But I'm a gambler at heart, so I parked Lorraine's Plymouth across the street from the Kilcourse mansion and waited. At 9 and a p.m., Mr. Kilcourse, much, much too old for her, came out the front door and flagged down a taxi. I made an illegal U-turn and followed. The trail ended across the Golden Gate Bridge in Marin County. It was a country club-type building on top of a hill overlooking the bay. It did business under the name of Ernie Nogales' Racket Club. The racket had nothing to do with tennis. It came from two sources. The moans and groans of the customers losing money at the roulette wheels and crap tables, and the glad hand the management threw at my quarry as I followed him in. Ah, well, Mr. Kilcore, surprised to see you. Since when you go out after dark? Well, I thought a little nightlife might agree with me, Nogales. Oh, 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 that sounds like you, Mr. Kilcore. I didn't know you better. I think you was afraid to go out night. <laughs> well, now, I was thinking of buying this place to retire to. Ah. But I figured it'd be cheaper to win it at your roulette table. What's your limit here? 10,000, but for you, wide open, the sky. A hot hundred grand for a starter? <laughs> well, any time they catch you with hot money, Mr. Kilko. <laughs> Come over to the cashier. Oh. I sell you the chips myself. I didn't have to bother making myself inconspicuous. Everybody in the joint stopped playing to watch Kilcourse while he shoved his hundred grand roll through the cashier's window and scooped up four stacks of thousand buck chips. Make your best, please. All right, you. Spin that wheel. Huh? How much you got there? Twenty-five grand. Any objections? Is that okay, Mr. Nogales? Uh, spin it, Joe. I'm covering through the table, person. Okay, sir. Around and round the little ball goes. Fifteen pays, fifteen and the red. Maybe next time, Mr. Kilgore. Why don't you double up, play the red and the black? Safer. I'll stay with the numbers. Fifty thousand on fifteen. There. Spin it. It's okay, Joe. I'm still covering. Well, it's your money, Mr. Nogales. Number four pays. Number four and the red again. Well, 25 grand more on 15. Uh, look, Mr. Kilcorns, go on, enjoy yourself, take it off your income tax, but please spend those... Spread them out a little there, those chips, huh? Looks bad for the house. What kind of a joint is this? Can't you cover the bets? Okay, Joe. He asked for it. Okay, sir. I didn't wait to see where the little ball went on the last spin of the wheel. I would have made a side bet with any taker that Kilcourse wanted to lose that hundred grand. I would also have made book. He knew I was following him. As I left the table and walked out of the club, I braced myself for what usually comes next. There would either be a dead body in the car or somebody would crease my noggin with a sap. But nothing happened. I switched on the headlights and stood in the glare of them for fully a minute, but nobody even shot at me. I flushed the shrubbery. No gunman. Checked the ignition wires. No booby traps. Driving back to town, I racked my brain for some way to bring them out into the open. I felt like a man with his life savings all on one number waiting for the wheel to stop spinning which wasn't far from the truth. Not much of a cliffhanger, but the best we could do this week. The makers of Wild Root Cream Oil are presenting the weekly Sunday adventure of Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, Sam Spade.
Now, here's important news on good grooming. If you want the well-groomed look that helps you get ahead, socially and on the job, listen. Recently, thousands of people from coast to coast who bought Wild Root Cream Oil for the first time were asked, how does Wild Root Cream Oil compare with the hair tonic you previously used? The results were amazing. Better than four out of five who replied said they preferred Wild Root Cream Oil. Remember, non-alcoholic Wild Root Cream Oil contains lanolin. It grooms the hair naturally, relieves dryness, and removes loose, ugly dandruff. So if you want your hair to be more attractive than ever before, get the generous new 25-cent size of Wild Root Cream Oil, America's leading hair tonic, on sale at all drug and toilet goods counters. It's also available in larger economy bottles and the handy new tube. Get Wild Root Cream Oil, again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. By the way, smart girls use Wild Root Cream Oil, too, and mothers say it's grand for training children's hair. And now, back to the hot hundred grand caper. Tonight's adventure with Sam Spade. Yeah. Uh, this uh, Mrs. Kilcourse's apartment? Yeah. She here? Yeah. Well, uh, can I come in? Yeah. Tommy? Yeah. Who is that, Mr. Spade? Yeah. Oh, this is, this is the detective I was telling you about, Tommy. Remember? Yeah. The one who looked so much like you? Yeah. No. Oh, excuse me. This is my brother, Tommy Lane. Yeah. I mean, uh... Tommy, won't you run down to the corner and buy me some cigarettes for about 20 minutes? I have something to talk over with Mr. Spade. Yeah. Nice boy, your brother. Small vocabulary, but big feet. Well, he, he's shy. Now, what did you find out about Mr. K- uh, my husband, Mr. Spade? He uh, dropped a hundred grand in a gambling joint, Ernie Nogales' racket club. You know it? No, but I know Ernie Nogales. I knew him in Reno before I met Leonard. He lost his license there for running a crooked wheel. The way Kilcourse was playing tonight, that wheel didn't have to be crooked. He was trying to lose that hundred grand. But why? Why would he do a thing like that? One of two reasons. Either he's paying off the Nogales or he's paying off to somebody else and Nogales is the go-between. Well, I don't believe it. Ernie is a crooked gambler, but he doesn't touch blackmail. And your husband isn't stupid enough to drop a hundred grand in three turns of a wheel. Anyway, I'm not tangled with him and or the Ernie Nogales mob for a hundred bucks of your money or anybody else's. Here, take it. Well, and here are your car keys. No, no, wait, please. You, you can't desert me now. Why not? Well, I haven't told you everything. I'd hoped I wouldn't have to. About your brother? How did you know? The only place you get a green suntan is in a pokey. Besides, he acts kind of stir-crazy. Spent a little time in solitary, didn't he? He won't talk about it. But that's it, Sam. That's why Leonard is paying that blackmail money to Nogales. Uh, you just said Nogales wouldn't touch blackmail. Any other corrections you'd like to make in your copy before we proceed? Yes. Well, I might as well tell you everything. Why not? I knew when I came to you this morning that my husband was paying this money to Nogales. I knew because I asked him to. You and Ernie Nogales are working together? I'm not that rotten. I didn't say you were, but you're a rotten liar. There's that much in your favor. But I'm telling the truth now, Sam. You must believe me. Everything that has happened is my fault. I persuaded Nogales to give my brother a job in his place in Reno. Mm-hmm. They quarreled, and when he got closed down, he, he blamed Tommy. He swore he'd kill him when he got out of prison. That's why I begged my husband to pay him to save Tommy's life. Who did rat on Nogales about that crooked wheel in Reno? I did. That's why I feel responsible. Leonard is so fine, so, so generous. But I can't let him go on paying for my mistake. Yeah, like you said, he's going to run out of money. Look at me, Sam. Do I look like the kind of a woman to whom money means everything in the world? No, but you're looking at me, not at Kilcourse. You're laughing at me. Oh, I know what you think. Perhaps I did make a mistake in marrying Leonard, but he was so kind, so considerate, like my father. Everybody reminds you of your relatives. You don't believe my story? Well, since you asked. Well, all right, then. Here's the truth. I'm really Jack the Ripper's granddaughter. My parents were terribly wealthy. 
I harpooned my mother in her Beverly Hills swimming pool, set fire to my father with a $50,000 negotiable bond, and eloped with John Wilkes Booth. That brings us up to 1865. Shall I go on? Don't stop. It's great. Oh, get out of here. Get out of here and leave me alone. After you've told me all your secrets, I'm not that rotten. You won't help me. You never intended to. Why go on torturing me? Oh, now, stop that. Please, please. I, I believe you. I believe all your stories. Now, uh, what is my next smart move? Sam, the only way to stop Ernie Nogales is to prove that he's running a crooked wheel. And then he'd pay back all that blackmail money, and, and he wouldn't dare lay a hand on Tommy. Well, it's going to be hard to prove and expensive. Oh, but... I'll have to lose a little on that wheel before I can figure the way it's rigged. How much can you invest? Well, I I have about a thousand dollars of my own. With you? Yes. Here. You take it. Hmm. Smells nice. Sam. Yeah? Sam, after all this is over, and after I've put things to right with Leonard, I should have told him before this, but I owed him so much, I... Oh, Sam, I'm so glad it's you. Yeah. Me too, Angel. Go now, darling, before I beg you not to. What time does that joint close? Well, well, it runs all night, I think. Good. Let's stay up late and raid the icebox. Around 2 in the a.m., when I low-geared the Plymouth up the long, steep driveway to Ernie Nogales' racket club, backed into the parking space nearest the road with a car headed downhill for a quick getaway, just in case, and I went in. The joint was still going full blast. I bought 500 bucks worth of chips, swaggered over to the table where Kilcross had dropped his hundred grand and nonchalantly flipped the blue chip onto the red. Appalachia betcha, ladies and gentlemen. Make your game. Okay, that's all. Around and round the little ball goes. I didn't look to see where the little ball went. Most of the money was on red, so it was bound to turn up black. A red, please. What? Number 15. Place your bets, please. Make your game, ladies and gentlemen. Around and round it goes. The chips were spread around more the next turn, so I stacked 100 at the bottom of the 1 to 34 column. With a crooked wheel, my 100 made it the best bet to lose. And 19, and the red wins again. Hey! I plunked 500 down on number 5 and raked in 17,500. I left my original bet on the table. When the little ball fell into the pocket, I was 35,000 bucks to the good from my point of view, but not from my clients. I doubled my bet and looked apprehensively around. There were no surly characters edging up behind me. In fact, the only surly character in sight was Ernie Nogales, and he looked happy. That didn't make much sense. When my bankroll got to 105,000, I played a hunch. I threw five grand of it back on the table and lost it. That made a kind of sense. I cashed in the rest of my chips and squeezed the hundred grand U.S. currency into my inside pocket. If anybody aimed for my heart, it was thick enough to stop the slug, which was some comfort. But what I saw when I walked out to the parking lot was no comfort at all. I'd gotten just a glimpse of it through some trees. A sedan backed into a driveway halfway down the hill. It was blacked out except for five glowing cigar ends that showed through the windows. I could think of only one reason for five cigar smokers to be parked in that particular spot at that particular moment. The Plymouth was where I had parked it, pointing straight down the hill. I slammed the door but didn't get in. And I listened. The car down the hill was getting ready, too. I cracked the door of the Plymouth wide enough to get my arm inside and pressed the starter with the heel of my hand. I switched on the lights, pushed the clutch with my left hand, used my right to shift it into low... And I pulled the hand throttle out all the way and let it go. What's the big idea busting into my office? We're going to have a talk, no, Gallus? Please, don't wave that heater at me. It makes me nervous. I don't like guns. I don't either. That's why I'm here. Put your hands on top of the desk and keep them there. All right. Give me back that roll. I give you clean money for it. It was a gamble, so I lost. Can you blame me? Where'd you get this money? I buy it. Fifty cents on the dollar. 
I don't ask where it came from, but I read the papers. I figure it was that ship row, that shipyard payroll job a few days back. Like it just fell in my lap. I figured make 50 grand instead of kill course five. I guess that was dirty trick you just out of stir, Tommy, huh? I had news for you, Nogales. I didn't know this money was hot, and I am not Tommy Lane. No? Then what? Private Dick. Tommy's sister hired me to take the fall for him. Look, I uh, got most of the caper. Kilcourse wanted to pay Tommy a hundred grand. You rigged the wheel so Kilcourse would lose it one night, and Tommy would win it back the next night. Now, uh, what was Kilcourse paying him off for? No caper. Legitimate. He was... Stand up for bribing a public official. You mean he was the payoff man for Kilcourse's contracting firm? Sure, legitimate business. And the grand jury went out after Kilcourse. Tommy took the rap, that's all, for a price. Yeah, a hundred grand. Thanks, Nogales, that's all I needed. Oh, Sam, I was afraid I might be too late. You are, sweetheart. Oh, I have so many things to explain. Where, 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 where can you talk? Right in here. But who's this man? Why, that's your old sweetie from Reno, Ernie Nogales, remember? Well, What's the matter with you two? You oh, crazy? Oh, Sam, I should have told you the truth from the beginning. Check. Well, no gallus yarn, I can understand, but why did you tell me you were Kilcourse's wife? I was desperate. I had to say something. It was the only explanation I could think of for my interest in this case yeah. without telling the truth. But you were making a pigeon out of me. I don't know about such things, Sam. All I know is I'm here in time to warn you. You mustn't walk out of here with that money. Listen. They may kill you to get it back. They already did. They're combing the wreckage of that car right now, looking for my body. <gasps> then Tommy was right. They did mean to kill him. How'd he get the rumble? While he was in prison, from another man that killed Course Framed. He was in for life, so it was safe for him to talk. Hey, you two. Oh. Yeah, no, Gallus? That car that just drove up. I think that's Mr. Kilcourse. Oh, I... Hey, what's your let hurry? Let me go, let me go! Come on, what's your hurry? Tommy's out there in that cab. I've got to warn him. Or tip off Kilcourse. Which is it? No, Sam, you've got to believe Sit me. Sit down. Stop that. You two have fun. I'm getting out of here. Go ahead. Now, uh, listen, sweet Lorraine, you may as well save your breath for those explanations. You're staying right here until the cape is all wrapped up. Here he comes. Have you got a gun, Sam? Yeah. Well, you'd better have it ready. Mm-mm. But Sam... There's no gallus. I want to see him. Uh, he was called out of town, sir. I'm in charge. Uh, you must have killed Cross? That's right. I want to know why you people have been interfering with my business. It might interest you to know that this building site's on an old Spanish land grant. Title's very shaky. I'll run an eight-lane highway straight through the middle of it and turn the rest of it into a game preserve. <laughs> That's what I do to people who double-cross me. I tried to tell Mr. Nogales that, sir. He wouldn't listen to me. He tipped Tommy off for a split of the hundred grand, but I knew sooner or later we'd have to answer to you, Mr. Kilcourse. Oh, well, what's that? Here's your hundred grand, sir. Count it. Sam. Well, 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 well. What's your name, son? Sam Spade, sir. Well, I'm glad to meet an honest lad. Well, come along. You too, young lady. We'll all walk out together. Sam, shut what up, are you... Shut what? Spade, huh? Yes, sir. I'm a private detective, but I'm ambitious. Hmm. Politics? Uh, yes, sir. Well, we'll run you for assembly. In the meantime, I believe there's an opening in one of the public services. Garbage disposal. Executive end, of course. Where the devil is that man with my car? Oh, there he is. Now, you drop around to my office in the morning. Thank you, and good night, Mr. Kilcourt. Uh, drive on, Horace. Back to the city. Oh, Sam... How could you? Hmm? All those lies and, and just handing over the money like that. It, it wasn't yours. It wasn't Tommy's either, sweetheart. Get in. Well, Tommy, are you all right? Yeah. Drive us across the bridge, Tommy, will you? Yeah. Tommy. Yeah? Tommy, I'm afraid we'll have to do without the money. Yeah? S- Sam gave it to Mr. Kilcourse. Yeah? Now, now, don't get excited, Tommy. I'm sure Sam had a reason. Didn't you, Sam? Yeah. I mean, that was marked money from a payroll job. Oh, then it won't do him any good. It'll send him up for a good long stretch if the eyewitness story that goes along with it is good enough. And you're just the girl to tell it, sweetheart. Am I uh, right, Tommy? Yeah. Uh, period, end of report. Already? But, Sam. Yeah? What happened? Who were the five men in the car, the ones who shot at that Plymouth in the mistaken belief that you were in it? Their names are of little account, Effie. Suffice it to say that Kilcourse pointed his pudgy finger at them in the hopes of keeping the charge of attempted murder out of his indictment. But I was too clever. I identified them. But, Sam, you didn't see anything but their cigars glowing in the darkness. Have you never heard of Sherlock Holmes' monograph on the 49 varieties of tobacco ash, you fool? Oh, but, Sam, Sherlock Holmes is only the segment of someone's imagination. He's a fictional detective. Well? You mean, 
Oh, Sam, you're tired. Yes, I am. It's affected your mind, winning all that money. Now, you just sit here and rest. All right. Think of the snowy mountaintops and Uh, blue skies. mm -hmm. I'll just go and type this up. Snowy mountaintops. Winter sports yet. And now, listen to this. If you haven't yet tried Wild Root Cream Oil, the famous hair tonic that grooms your hair neatly and naturally, relieves dryness, and removes loose dandruff, then here's a wonderful way to get acquainted. Buy Wild Root Cream Oil in the new 25-cent size bottle at your drug or toilet goods counter. Also, ask your barber for a professional application of Wild Root Cream Oil hair tonic. Again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. Not that it made any difference, but how did you guess that she wasn't Mrs. Kilcourt? Simple. Kilcourt didn't recognize her. But, Sam, that was after you denounced her. I did no such thing. From the report, Sam, in black and white, quote, Why did you tell me you were Kilcourt's wife, unquote? At that point, you assumed that she was not Mrs. Leonard Kilcourt. I did not. I merely wondered why she had told me. Well, with all the lies she told, you might have assumed anything she said was totally devoid of truth. And I did, sweetheart. I did. Oh. Oh, well, that's a relief. I was afraid for a while she'd taken you in. What's that got to do with the truth? Good night, Sam. Good night, sweetheart. The Adventures of Sam Spade, Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, are produced and directed by William Spear. Sam Spade is played by Howard Duff. Lorraine Tuttle is Effie. Sadie Thompson appeared as Lorraine Kilcourse. The Adventures of Sam Spade are written for radio by Bob Tallman and Gil Dowd. Musical direction by Lud Gluskin. Score composed by Renee Garrigan. Join us again next Sunday when author Dashiell Hammett and producer William Spear join forces for another adventure with Sam Spade. Brought to you by Wild Root Cream Oil. Again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. This is Dick Joy reminding you to... Get Wild Root Cream Oil, Charlie. It keeps your hair in trim. You see, it's non-alcoholic, Charlie. It's made with soothing lanolin. You better get Wild Root Cream Oil, Charlie. Start using it today. You'll find that you will have a tough time, Charlie. Keeping all the gals away. Hiya, Baldy. Get Wild Root right away. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. And that's the hot 100 grand caper on the adventures of Sam Spade, detective starring Howard Duff from September 19, 1948. Also in the cast, Lorene Tuttle and June Havoc, billed as Sadie Thompson, with Dick Joy announcing for Wild Root Cream Oil, is heard over CBS. We have more than 100,000 classic radio episodes under license from the owners and estates and are provided the master recordings. Through special arrangement with the rights holders, these radio episodes are heard on this podcast and sent to members of the Classic Radio Club. Support this podcast by joining the Classic Radio Club where you'll receive 10 superior-sounding classic radio shows sent to you each month via digital download or on five CDs, along with historical liner notes. You'll receive your first 10 classic radio shows for only $1, and you can cancel at any time. To learn more about joining the Classic Radio Club, log on to ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. Or call 815-900-7535 to speak to a live operator. That's 815-900-7535. I'll have a detective episode of Dragnet with Jack Webb for you after this short break. If you enjoy classic radio shows like The Lone Ranger, The Shadow, Jack Benny, Gunsmoke, Dragnet, and Suspense, become a member of the Classic Radio Club. 
Each month, you'll receive 10 half-hour classic radio shows, along with historical liner notes. The 10 shows will be on five CDs or via digital download, whichever you prefer. You'll also receive an email every week with a digital link to the full five-hour Hollywood 360 radio show and the 30-minute Radio Rarities podcast that Lisa Wolf and I co-host. In total, you'll receive 34 classic radio shows per month. Become a Classic Radio Club member at ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535 to speak to a live operator. Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535. That's 815-900-7535. Dragnet was perhaps the most famous and influential police procedural drama of all time. It dramatized cases of a dedicated Los Angeles police sergeant, Joe Friday, and his partners on the force. Actor and producer Jack Webb took Dragnet to new highs and insisted on realism in every facet of the show. The dialogue was clipped, understated, and sparse, influenced by the hard-boiled school of crime fiction. Scripts were fast-paced, yet didn't seem rushed. Every aspect of police work was chronicled step-by-step, from patrols and paperwork to crime scene investigation, lab work, and questioning suspects. Friday offered voiceover narration throughout the episodes, noting the time, date, and place of every scene as he and his partners went through their day investigating the crime. While most radio series used one or two sound effects experts, Dragnet needed five. A 30-minute episode could easily require 30 separate sound effects. Dragnet came to radio in 1949, and lasted until 1957, making an easy transition to television and films. In this episode, the Rattlesnake Bandit takes great pleasure in beating up his victims before shooting them. Here's The Big Holdup, starring Jack Webb as Sergeant Joe Friday on Dragnet from January 4th, 1951. The story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Fatima Cigarettes, best of all long cigarettes, brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a homicide detail. A potential killer is on the loose in your city. He's robbed six people. For no reason at all, he beats his victims senseless. He moves fast. He's well-armed. Your job? Stop him. You'll be amazed when you compare Fatima with other long cigarettes. You'll find they now cost the same. But in Fatima, the difference is quality. You see, Fatima is the quality king-size cigarette because it contains the finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos superbly blended. And Fatima is extra mild with a much different, much better flavor and aroma than any other long cigarette. So compare Fatima yourself. Fatimas now cost the same as other long cigarettes, but your first puff will tell you... Ah, that's different. Yes, in Fatima, the difference is quality. Ask your dealer for Fatima, the quality king-size cigarette. Best of all long cigarettes. Start enjoying Fatima for a new year of greater smoking enjoyment. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Thursday, March 8th. It was windy in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of homicide. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Thad Brown, chief of detectives. My name's Friday. I was on the way back from the record bureau. It was 11.45 p.m. when I got to room 42. Homicide. Joe? Hi, Bill. Romero called about five minutes ago. He's on his way in from Georgia Street. Oh, thank you. Captain still around? He's gone for the night. You can catch him at home if you want to. Trouble? The rattlesnake bandit. Got two more couples tonight. Right. Bad? About the same as the last three jobs he pulled. Pretty vicious. Gave the victims a bad going over. Who are they? 
A young salesman and his girlfriend, they were parked up in the Silver Lake area. Bandit robbed him. When he didn't find enough money in the young fellow's wallet, he pistol whipped him, messed him up quite a bit. Hmm. Why'd he do that? Oh, there's no reason for it. The young girl in the car had an engagement ring on. She offered to hand it over. The bandit pulled her out of the car, punched her in the face, hit her quite a few times. Guy just seems to be looking for blood, that's all. No leads on him, huh? No, not so far. It looks like I'm out. Have you got any aspirin, Bill? Yeah, I got a fresh bottle this afternoon. Lousy headache. I've had it all night. How about the thief's M.O.? The same, huh? Well, it has been so far. He works the outlying districts, parking areas. Doesn't seem to be any reason at all for these sluggings. The victims all agree on that. No provocation at all. The guy just seems to get a kick out of punching in somebody's face. Hmm. Two pills in it? Oh, yeah, that's fine. Thank you. Boys in robbery turn up anything? No, neither have we. Bandit operates in hot cars. He's got a few good prints to work with. No make, though. Guy works alone, huh? Well, he did for the first two jobs. Last few times, he had a bright-looking blonde with him. Good-looking, you know, nice figure. Mm. Victims say that she stands by and just seems to egg him on. I don't know. Seems to get a big thrill out of him, I guess. Hi, Bill. Joe. Hi. How'd you do, Ben? Doctor didn't think it'd be a good idea to bother him too much tonight. We can talk to him tomorrow. Well, how about the hold-up man's description? Did you get that? Yeah, from the girl. Matches what the other victims gave us. She didn't see the getaway car, though. Didn't have a chance. Well, how about the young fellow? Is he still unconscious? Yeah, they're going to move him to the county hospital. You should have seen his face. Yeah? Terrible. It's a mess. This bandit's girlfriend, the blonde, nothing at all on her? Victims say she's got a nice figure and good-looking. Quite a few like that in Los Angeles. What are they getting out of these stick-ups anyway? Can't be too much, huh? Oh, that's just it. None of the heists have netted them more than $50. Hardly worth the trouble. Hot shot. I'll get it. What is it? Wait a minute. Rattlesnake bandit. He got another couple. Where? South end of Echo Park. Yeah? He shot both of them. Together with Cummings and McCready from Homicide, Ben and I drove to the scene of the holdup and shooting in the Echo Park area. The victims were identified as Ralph Younger, 34, a high school English teacher. He'd been beaten severely about the face and neck and shot once through the right shoulder. His companion was Athelma Donovan, 26, a grade school teacher. She'd been shot through the temple just above the eyes. She was still alive, but in a critical condition. We questioned Ralph Younger briefly before he was removed by ambulance to the Georgia Street Receiving Hospital. His description of the hold-up man tallied exactly with that of the rattlesnake bandit. He also gave us the description and license number of the getaway car. We got out a broadcast and an APB. A routine check of the area failed to turn up any leads. 11 a.m. the next morning, Ralph Younger told us the story from his hospital bed. I was... I was teaching Thelma how to drive, Sergeant. We were going along that side street when the sedan pulled up, forced us over to the curb... And your friend, Miss Donovan, was sitting in the driver's seat then? That's right. I got out on my side and started over to ask this fellow what he was doing. Crowding us like that. He rushed up to me and started slugging me in the face with his gun. I went down. Mm-hmm. Well, what did Miss Donovan do? She started howling for help. The hold-up guy ran over and shoved his gun at her. He had it pointed at her head. And he grabbed Thelma's purse and started looking through it. For money, I guess. Mm-hmm. Say, uh, would you mind moving this pillow over a little bit? Oh, sure, I bet you. Oh, there we are. Here, how's that, okay? Oh, uh, under the shoulder, please. All right. Yeah. There you are. It's fine. Thanks. Were you lying on the street while all this was going on, Mr. Young? No, he yanked me to my feet. Made me stand by the car with my hands up. Thelma was crying. The hold-up man looked through her purse, and then he said, Who are you trying to kid, lady? You got more money than this. Thelma told him the truth. <laughs> it was all she had, three dollars. Well, what happened then? He shoved the barrel of the gun against her head. Right here, by the temple. Then I heard the gun go off. Thelma fell over in the seat. There wasn't any reason for it. No reason at all. Just shot her. Well, what did you do then? Do you remember? I jumped for the man. It's it. I wanted to kill him right there. He turned and fired the gun at me. Hit me right here. Below the shoulder. 
Then he ran out and got in his car and drove off. There was a blonde girl with him. I got a good look at her. Blonde, pretty, attractive. Mm -hmm. Well, is there anything else about the man's description that you might have forgotten to tell us last night? No, I don't think so. I gave you the license number of his car. Can't you find him that way? It was a stolen car, Mr. Young. We took it from one of his other victims. It was found out in Wiltshire this morning. Abandoned. I only wish I'd got my hands on him. Poor Thumb. Who is she, do you know? Well, there's no late report. Maybe you better check with the doctor, huh? Yeah. Hey, before you go, would you mind ringing this button here? It's for the nurse. The shoulder's giving me trouble again. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, thanks very much, Younger. Sure hope that shoulder of yours gets better. I hope so. Goodbye. We'll be checking with you later on. Uh, yeah, okay. Come on, then. Romero? Joe? How'd you do, Bill? Checked with the doctor. Donovan girl's still unconscious. Pretty critical. Mm -hmm. What'd the doc say? Is she gonna pull through? She might. They can't tell yet. One thing's sure, though. What's that? Bullet did a lot of damage. Yeah? She's totally blind. Four days before a bullet from the holdup gun had blinded schoolteacher Thelma Donovan for life, the rattlesnake bandit and his blonde girlfriend were unknown to the city of Los Angeles. In the space of little more than 96 hours, they'd robbed and slugged a dozen people from one end of the city to the other. In every case, the attacks were just about as brutal and vicious as they were unprovoked. The amount of money taken from each victim was negligible. The only apparent conclusion was that the bandit and his girlfriend were out for blood. That night, despite a citywide alert to all radio cars and patrolmen, the suspects robbed and slugged two more couples between the hours of 10 p.m. and midnight. Between midnight and 1.30 a.m., they got two more victims. 2.30 a.m., Ben and I got back to the city hall, the carpool. Oh, it looks like a place over there, huh? Mm-hmm. I wonder how McCready and Cummings made out. I hope they got more than we have. Yeah. That's good right here. Want to get the radio, Joe? Yeah, fine. Let's go. Oh, gone it. I knew I forgot something. What's that? Cigarettes. You got any left? Uh, I don't think so. Old pack is all. No, there's one left in here. No, no, that's all right. I can't take your last move. Oh, go ahead. There's a machine upstairs by the elevator. I'll get some. Oh, all right. Sure, better get these shoes half so I'll be walking around in my stocking feet pretty soon. Well, you just got them a couple of weeks ago, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. Tops are as good as new. Soles of the darn things went just like that. No wonder they had them on sale. Yeah. In just a minute, I want to get those smokes. Oh, yeah. Skipper say he was going to stay around? Until about two, yeah. He's probably gone by now. That's a long day. Anything in the book? Just a minute. Yeah, your wife called. I want you to get a refill on that prescription for your little boy. Oh, uh -huh. Hiya. How'd you two do? Nothing. How about you? Chandler called from robbery a minute ago. Thinks they may have something. Yeah? At 211, big service station out on Pico. Hold-up man had a blonde in the car with him. What about descriptions? Jibes pretty well with the guy we're after. Well, the M.O. doesn't. That thief and his girl haven't tried anything but car hold-up since they started. How'd they manage the job? Well, you know how they've been operating for transportation. They rob the people, steal their car. When they reach another victim, they transfer to his car. First time they switched that system was tonight. Hold up on South Hoover, the man and his wife. Huh? Instead of changing over, they stayed in the blue Chevy Coupe. The same one they took in the job before that. Up to now, they've used the same hot car in the last three jobs. Sure gonna help if they stick with it. What about the gas station at Dunn Valley? Excuse me, Crowley Chandler. Homicide Cummings. Yagline. Uh-huh. Five four three eight nine. Right, thanks. They dug up a witness to the gas station job. Suspects drove off in the blue Chevy Coupe. License 5 Paul 389. Same car, huh? That stops me. What was it take? 23 bucks. Slugged the attendant. Took off. The broadcast's out. Area's been alerted. Nothing yet. 
Okay, Ben. Yep. Sure is growing into a long night. Yeah, you're going to cover, huh, Bill? Yeah, until Fergie gets back. Right. Well, we'll be checking with you. You got it? Homicide, Romero. Yeah. How's that? Yeah, right, thanks. Drugstore in South Fig, 211, slugging. Blonde girl drove the escape car. Yeah. Five Paul, 389. In the next three hours before dawn, the rattlesnake bandit and his blonde girlfriend held up and robbed a restaurant and two more service stations and made good their escape. For some unknown reason, they continued to use the same stolen car, the blue Chevrolet Coupe. By noontime the following day, composite pictures of the hold-up couple were drawn up by the crime lab artist from the descriptions given by the victims. The pictures were printed up and given wide distribution throughout the city. The description and license number of the escape car was in the hands of every radio car and patrolman in all divisions. The search was intensified. It got us nothing. The following night and early morning, without even slowing their pace, the suspects added four more hold-ups and sluggings to their credit. One of the victims was Fred Lerner, proprietor of a small lunch counter near 18th and Olive. I've been held up before, officer, half a dozen times. Never saw a punk as hard-looking as this guy, though. You're sure about the description, Mr. Lerner? Well, he stood just as close as you're standing to me now. Wild look in his eye, waving that gun around. I wasn't taking any chances. I gave him everything. Well, how much was that? Eighteen dollars and a half. Well, how about the getaway car? You're pretty sure of the make and the color? Well, I ran to the door there as soon as they left. Saw him drive off. There's a license just as I wrote it down. It's uh, 5P389. Uh, I saw the whole thing. Sure surprised Lois would tie up with a punk like him. Lois? Who's that? Well, you know, the blonde who drives the car for him, Lois Hagen. Well, how do you know that's her name? She used to be a waitress, worked for my brother. Lois Hagen, blonde. I spotted her right away in that car. Yeah? Yeah, sure, Lois. Didn't you know it was her? 7.30 a.m. We put in a call to the record bureau and had them check on the name and description of Lois Hagen. No make, no previous record. With the help of Fred Lerner and his brother, we traced the Hagen girl to a drive-in where she used to work. There, we checked the employment records and got an address on her. 1800 Norwich Drive. Turned out to be a small apartment house in West Hollywood. Ben checked with the landlady while I waited in the car. Well, that's it. What'd you get? Talked to the landlady. She's managed the apartment for 16 years. Yeah? She never heard of Lois Hagen. You are listening to Dragnet, authentic stories of your police force in action. And now, here's an authentic report from Fatima Cigarettes. 1949, Fatima more than doubled its smokers coast to coast. 1950, another record-breaking year, with more long cigarette smokers insisting on Fatima quality than ever before. In 1951, enjoy Fatima quality yourself. Yes, friends, in Fatima, the difference is quality. Quality of tobaccos, the finest Turkish and domestic varieties, extra mild and superbly blended, to give you a much different, much better flavor and aroma. Quality of manufacture. Smooth, plump cigarettes rolled in the finest paper money can buy. Quality, even to the appearance of the bright, clean, golden yellow package, carefully wrapped and sealed to bring you Fatima's rich, fresh, extra mild flavor. Compare Fatima yourself. Fatima's now cost the same as other long cigarettes, but your first puff will tell you... Ah, that's different. Yes, in Fatima, the difference is quality. Start enjoying Fatima for a new year of greater smoking enjoyment. Insist on Fatima, the quality king-size cigarette. Best of all long cigarettes. Tuesday, March 13th. That night and the one following, the rattlesnake bandit and his blonde girlfriend, supposedly Lois Hagen, continued their campaign of hold-ups and sluggings. They robbed two liquor stores, an all-night cafe, cigar shop, and two more service stations. In each case, the descriptions of the suspects and their getaway car was the same. Routine investigations got nowhere. Ben and I went to work checking out the thin lead that we had on the girl known as Lois Hagen. After three days of pounding the pavement and asking questions, we found two former waitresses at drive-in restaurants who had worked with Lois Hagen. Both of them gave us addresses where they thought the Hagen girl had lived at one time. One of them was a phony. It was a vacant lot. The other panned out. 
was a rooming house out in the Boyle Heights district. The manager told us that the Hagen girl lived there two years before. She told us that as far as she knew, the girl's mother, a Mrs. Ernestine Hagen, still ran a small French laundry on South Hobart Boulevard. We found Mrs. Hagen working in her shop. She was a small, thin woman with gray hair. Yes, I have a daughter, Lois. What's the matter? I'd like to talk to her, Mrs. Hagen. Do you know where we can locate her? Probably sounds funny to you. I haven't seen my daughter in two years. Well, do you have any idea where she's living, ma'am? No, she's not much of a daughter. We didn't get along. As I say, two years ago, we had an argument. She left me. Never wrote a letter. I just don't know. I see. I heard she was living in Detroit for a while. I guess she's back here now. One of my lady friends, Mrs. McCormick, saw Lois shopping out in Hollywood. That was about a month ago. Mm-hmm. How old is your daughter, Miss Hayes? She'll be 20 next month. She looks older than she really is. Would you excuse me, please? My flat iron back here. I have it heating. Certainly, ma'am. Do you have a copy of the composite picture of the girl? Mm, yeah. Yeah, it's right here. Okay. I didn't realize it was getting so late. I have this rush order to get ready by 4 o'clock, officers. If you want, you can come back here. We can talk while I get it out. All right, ma'am. Thank you. Come on. There's a chair there, if you like. Oh, thank you. Seems I'm always so busy lately. I used to have some fine help. It's not so easy to find anymore. This iron seems awful hot. It's all right. I wonder if you'd mind looking at this picture, ma'am, this one here. Yeah, all right. Mm-hmm. Looks something like Lois. You're looking for her, is that it? She done something again? Well, we're not sure, ma'am. Has she been in trouble before? I can't be more ashamed of her than I already am. Yeah, she's been in trouble before. She was nothing but trouble. My only child. The father died and she's a baby, but I guess she needed a father. I couldn't do anything with her. Was your daughter ever in any serious trouble with the police, I mean? I don't know, maybe. She was. I didn't hear about it. I tried to understand and we never got along. I don't know. This makes me sick to think about it. Well, how about her friends, Mrs. Hagen? I mean, her recent friends. Do you happen to know any of them? No. Lois never brought them home. I knew they were tramps. I heard the way the neighbors were talking. Trampy fellas, trampy girls, drinking, doing things. You know, she didn't learn those things at home. Well, what was Lois' last known address? Do you have any idea at all? Place in Boyle Heights, the boarding house. It's the last I heard of Lois. She never wrote a letter. That's another thing. Yes, ma'am. She could have had the best education any girl could want. I worked 12 years in the laundry here to give it to her. I sent it to the convent. Even the nuns couldn't do anything with her. She only sassed them back. She finally quit altogether. I don't know. Can you think of anybody who might know where your daughter is? Maybe one of your relatives? Yeah, we don't have any relatives here. I have a brother in Ohio, that's all. These lace blouses are an awful lot of trouble. Would you pull out that plug, Sergeant, please? Oh, yes, ma'am. I wonder if you uh, have a picture of your daughter that we could borrow. We'll see that it's returned to you. Yeah, right. I got lots of pictures of Lois. She's a pretty girl, you know. Looks quite a bit like me when I was young. Yes, ma'am. Well, thanks very much for your time. Even the nurses at the hospital said it when Lois was born. Beautiful child. Certainly a strange, isn't it? How's that? When they're babies, they all look so clean and so good. Yes, ma'am. What happens to them? Before we left Mrs. Hagen, we got a photograph of her daughter, Lois, and then we drove back to the office. We spent the rest of the afternoon showing the picture to several of the robbery victims. All of them identified the Hagen girl as the bandit's accomplice. We got out a supplementary broadcast. That night, the holdup couple failed to put in an appearance. The following night, the same. Not a sign of them. Still no sign of the escape car, either. Where they might be hiding out, we had no idea. The search went on. Repeated checks through the stats office and the record bureau failed to turn up any new leads. We stayed on it. Four nights later, the still unidentified holdup man and Lois Hagen started in all over again. Two drugstore holdups, two robberies of couples and parked cars. All of the victims were beaten senseless. Monday, March 19th, 8 a.m. 
Sure. Hi. They turn up anything last night? Two more jobs. Both victims identified the Hagen girl as the accomplice. Anything else? Still using the same escape car. That's about it. Yeah. Well, we're no closer than we were a week ago. Huh? I checked the hospital on the druggist they slug. How's he doing? They don't know yet. Still unconscious. I get it. Homicide Friday. Yeah, Mike. Where? Yeah, right away. What have you got? 32R. They're out on 18th and Hill. Yeah? The hold-up car. They just spotted it. 8.20 a.m. Together with Cummings and McCready, we drove out to 18th and Hill, where the officers in Unit 32R had the hold-up car staked out. It was parked in the back of a large service station on Hill Street near the corner of 18th. We talked with the manager, and he told us that a blonde girl answering Lois Hagen's description had left the car there earlier that morning just to have the distributor fixed and the battery recharged. She told him that she'd call for the car early that night. Because of the way that the service station was situated, it would have been impossible to stake out on the blue coupe without making it look obvious. We explained the setup to the manager and made arrangements for Ben and I to pose as employees. That way we could keep a close watch on the car until the suspects called for it. Cummings and McCready holed up in a coffee shop directly across the street. Two teams of men from robbery covered from their vantage points. Ben and I took up our posts as supervisors of the station's 10-minute car wash. They sure do a great business here, huh? Yeah. You mentioned to the manager about keeping the area clear around that car, didn't you? Yeah, it's all set up. We're not going to have an excuse in the world if we miss those two. Yeah, if they show up. What are we supposed to do now? Pull these tickets off the cars as they move off the wash line? Yeah, that's all. Just uh, slip the tickets in that box over there, see? Mm-hmm. Must have run them a few dollars, huh, installing all this equipment. Seems to be paying off, doesn't it? What time you got now? A uh, few minutes past four. Want to smoke? No, I just put one out. 1 a.m. Ben spotted a young blonde girl turn the corner onto Hill and start up the street toward the service station. As she came closer, she looked to the right and the left. She paused in front of the station, looked on both sides of the street, and then she turned completely around and walked on past. It's Lois Hagen. She's going right down to the corner. How about it? Yeah, I'll put in with you. How about a tail? We can't just let her walk away from us. No, just a minute. Take a look. She's turning around. Coming back this way. She's coming in. Yeah, we better get back to our car. Looks like it. Come on. Right. The young blonde entered the garage office, paid the repair bill, and drove off in the hold-up car. Ben and I followed an 80K. Cummings and McCready tailed us. The blue coupe moved two blocks down Hill Street and then turned into an apartment garage. We parked on the street, went in and got the manager out of bed. We showed him Lois Hagen's picture. He told us that she was registered alone in apartment 16. He failed to recognize the description of the holdup man. McCready and three men from robbery covered the front and back exits. Cummings, Ben, and I climbed the stairs to the third floor. Number 16. Joe, you want to ring it? Yeah? Sorry, ma'am. <coughs> Bedroom, Bill. Right, I'll take the kitchen. Wait a minute, what is this? Police officers, you, Lois Hagen. You get out of here, let me out. Bedroom's empty. Nothing back here. All right, where is he? Come on, let's have it. Frank, get out! Cops, Frank, get out! Upstairs, you. Watch her, Bill. I got it. Come on, baby. <coughs> yep. Upstairs, Joe, watching? Yeah, hold it. Yep. Frank, get out! The cops! Come on down, coppers, give me room. Give it up, mister, you haven't got a chance. Give me room, I'm coming down. We got the building covered, mister, give it up. Look out, Joe. <coughs> I'll get his gun. How is he? Dead. Joe, Ben, you all right? Yeah, Bill. You want to take the girl downstairs? Let me see him, please. Frank? Frank? All right, lady. It didn't have to happen. I tried to tell him, get away. He wouldn't listen, never listen. Let's go. We were married yesterday. You didn't know that, did you? Just married. Yeah. Married two days. Yeah, well, the honeymoon's over. Come on, lady. to protect the innocent. On August 5th, trial was held in Superior Court, Department 87, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. In a moment, the results of that trial. Now, here's our star, Jack Webb. Thank you. Here's an invitation we just received from New York's famous Stork Club. Host Sherman Billingsley asked us to pass it on to you Dragnet listeners who have television sets. It reads, Fatima, 
Best of all long cigarettes cordially invites you to see the Stork Club on television beginning this week. Well, Dragnet welcomes the Stork Club to the Fatima family. It's a fine television show. You know the Stork Club recommends only the best, and as Sherman Billingsley says, in long cigarettes, that means extra mild Fatima. You can judge that yourself, just as I have, by comparing Fatima with other long cigarettes. Buy a pack of Fatimas. You'll find they now cost the same, but in Fatima, the difference is quality. The body of the dead hold-up man was identified as that of Frank Ralston Kilbride. His accomplice, Lois Hagen, was tried and convicted on six counts of armed robbery and assault with a deadly weapon. She received sentences as prescribed by law and is now serving her term in the state penitentiary for women. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the office of Chief of Police, W.H. Parker. Fatima Cigarettes has brought you Dragnet portions transcribed from Los Angeles. We the People is next on NBC. And that's Dragnet with The Big Holdup starring Jack Webb from January 4th, 1951. Also in the cast, Barton Yarborough with George Fenneman announcing for Fatima and Chesterfield Cigarettes is heard over NBC. After this break, I'll give you our lineup for Episode 2 of Retro Radio Theater. Next time on Episode 2 of Retro Radio Theater... It's two Western radio episodes, Gunsmoke and Have Gun Will Travel, so don't miss it. Follow us wherever you listen to podcasts or visit us on SeniorResource.com, your number one source for retirement planning, caregiving tips, and living your best. Retro Radio Theater is a copyrighted series produced by yours truly, Carl Amari, for Retro Entertainment. Mike Costella is the executive producer. We invite you to support this podcast by joining the Classic Radio Club. Members receive 10 Classic Radio shows via digital download or on five CDs each month, along with historical liner notes. Learn more at ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535. That's 815-900-7535. See you next time, and thanks for listening. It's time to rethink, renew, and reimagine retirement. Hey, everybody, Jared Sebesta here, host of Retire Repurposed. Now, this podcast is about the non-financial parts of retirement, which many times can be even more challenging than the financial. We believe retirement is not the end, rather the beginning of what could be the most impactful, purposeful, and fulfilling season of a person's life. So don't retire, become repurposed. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.